This is Running the Race with Pastor Eddie Pinero of Calvary Chapel of Milford in Milford, Pennsylvania. You don't have to worry about fulfilling the 613 commandments, just the two. Love God. If you love God, you won't break any commandments that has to deal vertically. If you love your neighbor, you don't have to worry about breaking the commandments horizontally. Love. Love the Lord. And so He helps us, too. You know, we think we get to do this on our own. No, that's why we have the Holy Spirit. To help us, to glorify God, to honor Him. The Old Testament was filled with over 600 laws that the Israelites had to keep in order to be in right standing with God. When Jesus started his ministry, he summarized the entire law into just two commandments. They were to love God and love others. In today's message, Pastor Eddie will be sharing how we're called to live by these two commandments. The Christian life is measured by how well they loved God and others. Well, let's join Pastor Eddie in the book of Hebrews chapter 13. As he continues his message, prayer request, benediction, and farewell. In verse 20, he says, May the God of peace... May the God of peace, we'll hold it there. May the God of peace, the definite article is the God of peace, not a God of peace. And we live in a world where there's so many religions, so many gods, and people are trying to find peace, and they'll find so many gods. But this is the definite article in the Greek. It says the God of peace, not a God of peace. And many of us here who surrender our lives to Jesus Christ, before we surrender our lives, we are at enmity with God. We are enemies of God. And then, that's what the Paul writes in Colossians chapter 1, verses 21 to 22. And you who once were alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now he has reconciled in the body of his flesh through death. We were enemies of God, but when we accepted Jesus Christ on the cross, when he sacrificed his life, died on the cross, now we become one with the Lord. And because of the work on the cross that Jesus has went on the cross for you and I on our behalf, we know God and we know him as the God of peace. That's the God you serve, not just any God, the God of peace. And once you make peace with God, once you make peace with God, then and only then will you receive the peace from God. You receive God, you re- then you will have peace from God. Now, we can experience peace temporarily, you know, throughout your life. You probably had a peace, you know, with family, in-laws, your neighbors, and, and you may have had a peaceful day. You may have had a peace in making a decision in, in some part of your life. But it is a peace that's only temporary. It is a peace that cannot satisfy. You might have peace for a while. Let's say with your family, your in-laws or, or your neighbors, but then next month or next year, here comes an argument. I see it all the time. 
There's no more peace because it's temporary, you see? But the peace that we have with God is true peace, you see? Because it is the peace of God that lasts through trials and tribulation. It is a peace of God that lasts through persecution. It is a peace of God that lasts through all the troubles that you're going through, knowing that God is the peace. And Jesus said in John chapter 14, verse 27, he said, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives, the world has a peace. Do I give to you? There is a peace. This world is a peace, peace, no justice, no peace, peace in the Middle East. Those are all temporary. Those are all conditional. But we're talking about inner peace. And it doesn't matter how the world is falling apart. And it's not dependent on man because, again, we can't trust man. Let every man be a liar, but let God Almighty be true. But there is only a peace that comes from Jesus Christ. So the reality is, and the fact is, no Jesus, no peace. And no Jesus and no peace. Because it goes beyond this. The, the peace of God goes beyond you know, the way we think. It's beyond this because peace is not on a circumstance, is not in a formula, is not in a format. Peace is in a person, the person Jesus Christ. And that's what it, Paul wrote to the church of Ephesus in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 14. For he, speaking of Jesus Christ himself, is our peace. And that's what we need to understand. As believers in Christ, those who surrender their lives to Christ, and now Christ dwells in your heart, there is a peace in your heart because Christ is in your heart, you see. It's really oxymoronic to say that a Christian doesn't have peace. Now, you may go through your trials and tribulations, but the fact that if peace is in a person and that person is in your heart, you will always have peace. You will always have peace. You receive Christ, he's in your heart, you will always have peace. Yeah, you know, when trials and tribulation come barreling in, and you'll have your trials, and you have persecution, you go through some things, but we have a peace. Well, when you start thinking about the Lord, okay, that's, that's the point that I've gotten to, believe it or not. It took me a long time to realize, hey, it doesn't matter. God sits on the throne. All the scripture says all things work together for good for those who love the Lord in Romans chapter 8, right? God is in control. So I may be dealing with certain circumstances in my life right now and it's in front of me, but I know out of all of that, God is going to turn it for good. You study the life of Joseph, the Lord gave him dreams. Oh, yeah, you, you know, all your brothers are going to bow down to you. Yeah, the moon, the stars, they're all going to bow down to you. But nobody told him about the pit that his brothers would be putting him in. His brothers sold him. Nobody told him about that he would be in prison in Egypt. But what happened? He remained faithful, knowing that all worked out for good, and he became second to Pharaoh. You see, God was always with him. And so that's the way God worked with us. If Christ is in your heart, then you'll always have peace because peace is in the person. And so, no Jesus, no peace. So, in verse 20, he says, Now may the God of peace, who brought up our Lord Jesus Christ from the dead, that great shepherd of sheep. He's the great shepherd. The writer identifies Jesus Christ with an amazing, sweet title as a great shepherd. Now, you may say, what's so beautiful about a great shepherd? Well, in our modern day, in our Western culture, we don't understand. But for those in the Middle East, those in Israel, and those 
back in those days, that was a beautiful picture. The, remember, the first readers of the book of Hebrews were Jews. And they understood this great imagery of a shepherd and a sheep. I mean, we kind of enjoy it on a painting on the wall, right? When you see Jesus holding that sheep all around his shoulder. And that's as far as probably we today would probably get to appreciate a shepherd and a sheep. But to the first readers of Hebrews, that meant a lot. Because they knew exactly what a shepherd would do to protect and save sheep. Because sheep are stupid animals. And no offense to any of you or me, but, you know, that's why we're called sheep. <laughs> Don't leave the church. Hey, I was blessed today. The pastor said that we're stupid. No, no, no. <laughs> no, <laughs> but we're like sheep in the fact that we're aimless. We're vulnerable creatures, and we desperately need someone to care for us. And you tell those who are evolutionists who believe that, you know, we came from some goop, some I don't know what. But you have to explain how did sheep continue to live? Sheep cannot survive without a human being. They cannot survive on their own. And if you read Psalms 23 and you find out. But it's a beautiful picture. And so too with us, we have a great shepherd, Jesus Christ. In John chapter 10, verse 11, Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. Why? Because there are bad shepherds. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd, this is how good he is, gives his life for his sheep. And that's what Jesus has done. He laid down his life. He died for us. Even if it was one, there's a story, right? Jesus said he'll leave the 99 secured and go look for the one. That's Jesus Christ, a great shepherd. And here the writer of Hebrews gives us this picture. So he writes this, who brought up our Lord Jesus from the dead, that great shepherd of sheep, through the blood of the everlasting Covenant. Jesus died. He was the Lamb of God. And is that everlasting covenant is the new covenant in the New Testament. It's not the old covenant. Remember, the Lord said, this is the old covenant. And they had to sacrifice lambs and bulls, which only covered sin and never took away sin. But the blood of Jesus Christ was a sacrifice once and for all, right? That not only covered our sin, but took away our sin. Right, And so he's the Lamb of God. And it is through that new covenant, because the prophet Jeremiah said that the Lord is going to give us a new covenant. And Jesus is that new covenant. It's through Jesus Christ, through his blood. So that ever the blood, through the blood of Jesus Christ, the everlasting covenant, it doesn't have, there's no more sacrificing of animals, because it is through Jesus Christ. Verse 21, he says, make you complete in every good work to do his will. And why does he make us complete? Well, it's obvious to do his will, not our will, not your will, his will. Remember when Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane, just hours before he was arrested and to be crucified on the cross, Jesus prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane. He prayed, and the Bible says his sweat was as of blood because he passionately prayed. He knew that he was going to be separated at that point at the cross from the Father because he was taking on the sins of the world, you see. And Jesus asked the Father, is there any other way, Lord, as he prayed? There in the garden, is there any other way? Is there any other way that man could be right with you and enter the kingdom of heaven? 
And Jesus knew. He asked the question, but he knew the answer. Later, he went on to say, nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. Because this is the only way. He was the sacrificial lamb who died on the cross for us to take our place on the cross. We deserve to be on the cross. We are the ones that sinned against God. We are the ones that were wicked. We blaspheme God. We use his name in curses. We, nobody said, oh, Buddha, you know. No one say, oh, Muhammad. No one would dare use your parents' name for a curse, but we use God's name. But he died on the cross for us to take our place. We sinned against God. We were sinners. Started in the garden. But Jesus Christ, because of the work on the cross, he took my place in Calvary, took your place. And now we write before God because of Jesus. He paid for my sins. He paid with his own blood. And so the will of God is not our will. And the writer's prayer is that they would be equipped with every good work to do God's will, to please him. You know, we can't do it in our own strength. And that's what I love about this, that he would help us. We can't do it in our own strength. It's not your words because even by salvation in itself, for us to be saved before God is not based on what you do. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9, we're saved by grace through faith, not of works, lest any man should boast. It's not what you do, it's what Jesus has done. Because if you have to do something for salvation, then that's religion. Then I mean God owes you something because you did something. Well, Lord, I, you know, I memorized the Ten Commandments, and um, I pray three times a day as I face the East, and I read a chapter a day, and a day I go to church four times a week. No, that's works. It's not that we don't have to do it, but we get to do those things because Jesus Christ has already done the work. That's to say that the work on the cross means nothing. That your work overrides the work of the cross? It's just the thought. No, it's because of Christ. But he's the one that helps us, you see. We tend to think that we get to do things in our own strength. So, Lord, what do I have to do to please you? What do I have to do? Just be faithful and love me. Love God with all your heart, soul, and mind. Out of all the commandments, 613 commandments, love God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. If you focus on the love, it's easy to not Break the other commandments, you see. You don't have to worry about fulfilling 613 commandments, just the two. Love God. If you love God, you won't break any commandments that has to deal vertically. If you love your neighbor, you don't have to worry about breaking the commandments horizontally. Love. Love the Lord. And so he helps us, too. You know, we think we get to do this on our own. No, that's why we have the Holy Spirit, to help us to glorify God, to honor him. And so he says, working in you, at the end of verse 21, what is well-pleasing in his sight. So he's working in you what's well-pleasing in his sight. Through who? Through Jesus Christ, not from your works. To whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. And that's his benediction we see here now in verses 20 to 21. And now, as the writer closes out his letter, the final greetings, we're going to look at verses 22 to 25. And 22, he says, and I appeal to you, brethren... Bear with the word of exhortation, for I have written to you in a few words. I can only imagine if he continued writing. That would probably be like 50 chapters. <laughs> I only wrote to you in a few words. Okay. Do you understand the 13 chapters? Over 10,000 words, I believe I kind of checked. 
But what is he saying here? Bear with the word of exhortation. What he is saying, in other words, pay attention to the words of exhortation in this letter, this book. Look at the letter as a whole, the whole book of, of Hebrews. Bear with the words of exhortation. In other words, all the words that I've written to you in this letter. Chapter 1 of Hebrews, we saw all that the writer has to say. Okay, Pay attention to what I've been saying. The exhortation. In other words, don't go back to the old covenant because that was only a picture of the substance Jesus Christ. All that we see in the tabernacle, the sacrifices, the garment of the high priest, all that we saw in the new, that all pointed to Jesus to give us a picture of the what's to come. Don't go back to the temple. Don't go back to the high priest. Don't go back to the sacrifices of animals. Because Jesus Christ already paid with his blood. And to know that, that Jesus Christ had paid it once and for all and to go back is blasphemy. Just, it's, that's apostasy. Because you already know the truth. So he said, pay attention of all that I've said. That Jesus Christ is better. Yes, we have the angels and we have the prophets. But he opened up his letter and said, but Jesus is better. Yes, we have the great grand poobah, Moses, but Jesus is better. Yes, we had the high priest, but Jesus is the great high priest. Yes, we saw the covenant, but Jesus is the ultimate. Through Christ, there is a new covenant. And remembering the warnings that I've given you. Bear those words that I told you, the warning. There were five warnings. We looked at five warnings. The warning of drifting away, Hebrews chapter 2. The warning of unbelief, Hebrews chapter 3. The warning of spiritual immaturity in Hebrews chapter 6. The warning of apostasy in Hebrews chapter 10. And the warning to refuse him, Jesus Christ, who speaks. So that's what he's saying here. I appeal to you, brethren, bear with the word of exhortation, for I have written to you in a few words. Verse 23, know that our brother Timothy has been set free with whom I shall see you if he comes shortly. Interestingly, the writer of Hebrews did not mention his name, but he mentions Timothy, Timotheus. You know, this could very well be, this is the reason why, another reason why many scholars believe that this letter was written by the Apostle Paul. He may not put his title in the book because he knows that the people are going to read it. If it says, I, Paul... Chuck it out. You know what I mean? Because they roll in scrolls. They, you know, they, they write I, Paul, in the beginning, because there's a scroll. If he wrote his name at the bottom, they have to, who wrote this letter? Oh, we have to roll 22 feet. Oh, P.S. Paul. Yeah, no, no. They wrote in the beginning, but they knew if they saw or they rolled it, Paul, chuck it. That's one of the reasons. But Timothy is also a common name those days. This could very well be Timothy. And so Timothy is mentioned in the Apostle Paul's epistles three times in, in Romans chapter 16, 1 Corinthians chapter 4, 2 Corinthians chapter 1. And he also directly wrote two letters attributed to Timothy, Timothy 1 and Timothy 2. However, we're not sure if it's the same one. So again, it's best to leave the question open because the reality is this is the word of God. This is for us to study and live by today. It's inspired by the Holy Spirit. And so the writer goes on in verse 24. He says, greet all those who rule over you. 
Again, now we got the spiritual leader again. In verse 7, we're to remember those who rule over us. In verse 17, we're to obey those who rule over us. Verse 18, he says, pray for those who rule over you. And now here in verse 24, greet all those who rule over you. So we're to remember, obey, pray, and greet those who who rule over you. Obviously, there are leaders in this group, and he wants them to understand, listen, follow Jesus. And the only way, you know, you're going to you know, stay the course is being in the fellowship and being in a good fellowship where there's good leadership. It's important. Remember, Paul says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Follow me as I follow Christ. The writer of Hebrews says, follow those, remember those that have faithfully lived by faith. And there's a reason for that. Greet all those who rule over you and all the saints. So we're not only to greet the leaders, but greet the saints. And, you know, the reality is Christians should be the best greeters. We should be the best greeters. And sometimes we just think, well, there's a ministry called greeters and ushers, right? No, it's not only that. It's not only when we finish worship before we get to our studies that I always say, hey, greet one another in the name of the Lord. Why? Because that's what the Bible tells us to do. We should be greeting all the time, every time, to those you know and those you don't know, whether you've been greeted or not. We should be the best people to greet because we have so much to say. We have so much in common, and it just shows the love. Jesus says, they will know you're my disciples by the love you have for one another. And so in verse 24, he says, greet those who rule over you and all the saints. Those from Italy greet you. Those from Italy may refer to people living in Italy or people who are from Italy that are living somewhere else. We don't know who they are, but nonetheless, we see that it just shows that the gospel of Jesus Christ has spread out throughout all of Italy, not just Rome. And that's a good thing to know. Even in that time, this church has grown. And finally, verse 25 Grace, which is another trademark of the Apostle Paul. Grace, as mentioned so many times, means unmerited favor, right? Grace be with you all. And all God's people say, Amen. 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 Well, we ended our study. And just remember the theme of the book of Hebrews is that Jesus is better. All that we've seen, angels, prophets, all the patriarchs, all the men and women in the Bible, Jesus is better. He's better than the angels. He's better than the great high priest. And so the Lord has definitely, I don't know about you, I have the privilege of actually studying hours and, you know, just to speak for like 50, 45 minutes. You know, I know the Lord has spoken 10 times over. He's spoken to us. I know he has spoken to you. And we know that Jesus Christ is the Messiah. You've been listening to Running the Race with Pastor Eddie. Pastor Eddie's been digging into the book of Hebrews in a series called Jesus is Better. This book touches on so many amazing things, but really ties in the Old Testament covenant with the new. The author mentions the importance of the high priest and the sacrifices that were made. But the point is that Jesus became the high priest and also the sacrificial lamb for all people. Isn't it amazing how Jesus fulfilled all that was in the Old Testament? It's because Jesus became the high priest that now we can go to him for our strength, our courage, and our hope. Another way to come to God is in prayer. 
Jessica wants to tell you more about this. Prayers for this ministry would be so appreciated. The opportunity for the lost to be reached over the radio is incredible. So please pray for our listening audience and that what's shared will alter people's lives forever. Another way you can support us is by prayerfully considering giving in a financial way. There's a lot of time and effort that goes into producing this program. And we're grateful for all who are willing to come alongside us to support the creation of each program. If you feel led to do this, you can find a Give tab at runningtheraceradio.com. Thanks, Jessica. While you're there, you can find all sorts of information about Calvary Chapel of Milford. And if you're in the area, we'd love to have you come visit on a Sunday morning. You'll find service times and directions on our website, runningtheraceradio.com. Thanks for listening to Running the Race.